0: In the name of Jesus Christ, O Father, we pray that you would pour out your spirit upon your people. Through the preaching of your word and through the sacraments duly administered, we pray that you would be present in and among your people to work the transformation that your grace works in our lives. Do that now. Do that today in us. Break away what hinders us and build up what gives us life in you. We lift this before your throne, O God, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. I, uh, I told folks in the first service that I am, I am a horrible deficiency with time and uh, keeping time while preaching. Uh, I know I have gone over a good bit the last couple Sundays, and so I'm going to put this front and center. I don't know if I will actually see it or not, but uh, we'll... Uh, I'm doing my best, so uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll work through this. Um, part of the problem is that I just really love the book of Acts. There is so much in these passages that we could talk about. I mean, our reading this morning is so rich and full. All the other lessons that were read for us are so rich and full with things that we could speak about, things we need to hear about the goodness of God in this world and about what is possible when we trust him. We heard in so many passages the the poor would be fed, that needs would be met. All those things are possible in the church because God is at work in us. That's not what we're going to talk about this morning, but we could, right? There's so much we could speak about. Uh, But today we're going to be continuing our series in the book of Acts that we're going through this summer. And we're going to find ourselves again on the day of Pentecost, at the end of Acts chapter 2, And here, the day of Pentecost, this is the day when the 120 followers of Jesus are in Jerusalem, gathered together in worship, devoting themselves to prayer and the reading of Scripture. And what happens to them? The Spirit of God descends, is poured out on them, and they do what? They speak in tongues. They manifest signs of the kingdom of God at work in this world that God is doing a new thing. He is creating a new people, a Spirit-energized, Spirit-empowered community The church to do what? What is he energizing and empower us to do, folks? The gospel. gospel, To bear witness to Jesus from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. Let's let's not miss that. We want to keep that firmly in our minds. that That is what God has called us. That is what Jesus has commissioned each of us and us together as the church to do. To bear witness to the good news about Jesus Christ from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. This spirit-energized community bears witness to Jesus when we gather and when we scatter. This is what we looked at last week. When the church gathers together our worship in common life with one another, bear witness to the good news about Jesus in this way, that we love one another. What did Jesus tell us? What did he tell the disciples? How will people know that you are my followers, my disciples, that you have love for one another as I loved you? Our gathered common life together bears witness to the good news of Jesus in that we love one another. And that's what we're going to look at today. But not only gathering together, but the church when it scatters out into the places where God has providentially set each one of us, into neighborhoods and schools and homes and workplaces, to gyms and grocery stores, God has scattered us out into all these various places to do what? To bear witness to the good news of Jesus through words and deeds. Primarily through deeds that call for explanatory words. That's what the signs of tongues were. They were asking the question, what is this? And Peter now gets up and gives them explanatory words. God is doing a new thing. Just like Joel prophesied. God is doing a new thing in Jesus, whom you crucified. God is doing a new thing. Raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in glory. When we live our lives out in the world bearing fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, self-control, what happens? We bear witness to the good news of Jesus. And when people ask us why, we give them explanations. We bear witness, we give a defense for the faith, for the hope that rests in each of us. When we embody the kind of actions of Jesus in this world, acts of compassion and kindness, acts of love and generosity, acts of forgiveness and reconciliation, what is that doing? It's bearing witness to the good news of Jesus. And when people ask us why, we are ready to tell them because Jesus. Jesus has loved us. Jesus has done this in our lives. And he can do it in your life. That's what we looked at last week. But today, we're, we continue in our, our, our journey through Acts at the end of Acts chapter 2. So we're still in Jerusalem on day of Pentecost, and we've just seen in our reading 3,000 folks respond to the good news of Jesus in faith, in repentance, and baptism, and they receive the Holy Spirit. So I invite you, if you have uh, the scriptures, if you want to pull out a pew Bible, you can turn with me to Acts 2, or you can just listen along and follow along as I speak. Acts 2 verse 37, we hear these words, now when they heard this. We need to ask ourselves, because we didn't read all of this, what is this that they heard? Well, in Peter's sermon, they hear that the signs and the wonders that Jesus performed on earth. right? All those miracles, all those acts of compassion, which in themselves are miracles, reaching out to the destitute, to the forsaken, to the marginalized, that's a miracle in itself all those signs and wonders that Jesus performed pointed to a new thing that God was doing on this earth. And the Jews, as represented in their religious leaders, and the Gentiles, as represented in in the Romans, reject that new thing that God is doing in Jesus by crucifying him. And then Peter tells them that God has rejected their rejection by raising him from the dead, and even more than that, letting him ascend into heaven to take a seat at his right hand, at a, right beside him on his throne, where Jesus is now this divine human king who rules over all the earth from heaven. This is what Jesus is preaching, and we, we shouldn't miss this, but there's one crucial thing we need to highlight for this as we move forward, and it's this, in raising Jesus from the dead, in raising Jesus from the dead and seating him at the right hand of his throne in heaven, God affirms that humble, self-denying obedience to God and love of neighbor is the way to true life and peace and flourishing. Let me say that one more time. In raising Jesus from the dead and seating him at his right hand in heaven, the right hand of his throne, God affirms that Jesus' self-denying obedience to God and self-sacrificing love of the neighbor, of others, is the true way to life and peace and flourishing. All other ways, all other ends, are denied and rejected in this strong affirmation, the strongest affirmation that God could ever do. raising someone from the dead. So let's pick back up in verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. right What they hear? They heard that Jesus' way of life, the one they rejected the way of humble, self-denying obedience to God and self-sacrificial love of the neighbor that they rejected by crucifying Jesus. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. That This was God's way. That They missed it. They were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? I think we would all be in that boat if we were sensitive to what is being preached and the Spirit's leading that moment. What shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then look down at verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 folks respond to the good news, the proclamation of the good news about Jesus and God's kingdom. And they were brought Initiated, ushered in to the church, born anew through three practices. Repentance, baptism, and the reception of the Spirit. Repentance. This is not just a, God, I'm sorry about the sins I've committed in the past. It is that, but it's more than that. It's a turning away from self-directed living. Choosing for myself what is in my best interest, what is good for me, Repentance is a turning away from that, and it's a turning away from the pseudo-gospels that are preached in our culture, to the other stories that proclaim, no, actually, this is the way towards life and flourishing and peace. If you want to be happy, this is how you get it. Repentance, true repentance, Pentecostal repentance is not only a denial or or asking for forgiveness for sins that we committed in the past. It is a turning away from the old patterns of life, the old patterns of life that are offered to us in this world, the old patterns of life that we have decided for ourselves. And it's also a turning to. It's a turning to God and to his way of life embodied in Jesus that God affirmed in the resurrection and at the ascension. And it's saying, yes, I believe this is truly the way towards life and peace and flourishing. It's not only just a denial, it's also an acceptance. A faith, but not just an intellectual faith, it's a a practice faith that puts this way of life into practice in the world. The way of Jesus, self-denying obedience to God and self-sacrificial love for your neighbor. So there's bad, there's repentance, and then second, there's baptism. According to Paul in Romans 6, baptism is the effectual means, right? It does something. It's the effectual means by which God unites our lives with the life and way of Jesus. This is what what Paul says in Romans 6. Do you not know, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were crucified with Christ, Paul says later in Galatians We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised to new life, just as he was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might be raised in newness of life so that we might walk in newness of life. Through baptism, we are united to Jesus' way of life. That is the way of what? Humble, self-denying obedience to God. That's how we love God each week. Each week we hear the law read, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. How do we love God? We obey him. Jesus was clear with his disciples. If you love me, you will do what? Church, if you love me, you will do what? You'll keep my commandments. Obedience to God is the way we love God. In baptism, we are united to this way of life, this way of life that God has affirmed in resurrection. We die with Christ and we are raised now to this new life to be people who embody and act out and live in this world, the very life of Jesus, of self-denying obedience to God and self-sacrificial love of our neighbors. This is the core of the Christian life. This is what it's all about. At the center of the story of the world stands Jesus crucified and God affirming that death by raising him from the dead. At the center of your life ought to be Jesus crucified. At the center of your marriage ought to be Jesus crucified. Self-denial. At the center of your relationship with your children and children with your parents ought to be Jesus crucified. The way the true life is denying yourself, obeying God, and self-sacrificially loving every single person you encounter. That's the way of Jesus That's the way that transforms the world. That's the way that God has affirmed in the resurrection. And this is clearly what Jesus taught in the Gospels, is it not? Listen to Mark chapter 8. If anyone would come after me, Jesus says, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will what? Lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will what? Save it. It's really counterintuitive. It's paradoxical. We don't understand this. We don't have to understand it. We just have to know that God has affirmed it in the resurrection and trust that through this, living out the life of Jesus in our own lives brings about true life and peace and flourishing. Is it easy? No. It's utterly hard because we are so attached to our old ways. But this is why God in Jesus from heaven sent the spirit to empower and energize you to live the life of jesus where he has set you and placed you bear witness to the good news of jesus from jerusalem to the ends of the earth so we've seen repentance baptism and now lastly the reception of the holy spirit In baptism, we receive the Holy Spirit as power from heaven to energize Jesus' way of life in our lives. The Spirit enabled us to walk in the newness of life in the way of Jesus. He makes this possible, right? The Spirit is the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead. This is what Paul says in Ephesians 1. And that same power has been poured out in and on and over you. You can do it through the Spirit energizing you. How do we unlock the Spirit's power in our lives? Faithfully loving God. Faithfully obeying God. Later on, Peter will say that we bear witness to these things, referring to the resurrection and the Spirit also, whom has been given to everyone who, what? Obeys God. The Spirit's presence in our lives, the power of the Spirit at work in us is contingent upon us submitting in obedience to God we must be people who receive the Holy Spirit through faithful obedience to the Father and to the Son and he will energize in us the way of Jesus this way of humble self-denying obedience and love for our neighbors self-sacrificial love for one another and our neighbors so repentance baptism and reception of the Holy Spirit indicate that the gospel does what? invites and expects us to make a radical departure from the supposed gospels in our culture that claim to lead us to true and meaningful life. It asks us to turn away from all other claims that that lead to life. All other stories that claim that this is the way to find true happiness, this is the way to find true fulfillment, this is the way to find true meaning in life, The gospel invites us to turn away radical departure from all of these and to embrace the way that God affirms in Jesus. For Peter's audience on the day of Pentecost, their culture told a story that true flourishing would come when the Messiah came not to die on the cross, but to lead Israel's army in victory over the nation's to subjugate them to Israel's rule, so that Israel finally would be the top nation in the world and that all the nations would be subjected to them and God's law. That was the story that led to true flourishing and all Israelites who were faithful to that story wanted to obey the law faithfully like the Pharisees so that when the Messiah came to wreak havoc on the world and put them back to right, they would be a part of it. True life, true flourishing, is in this, waiting for the Messiah to decimate the nations. And that's why they rejected Jesus. Some no-name guy from some backwater town in Nazareth is coming here to, claiming to be the Messiah, that God is doing new work through him. Where is his army? Where is the power of God at work in him that's going to overthrow these Gentile overlords? Another gospel was at work in the life of Israel. Peter calls them to turn away from this false gospel and turn to the gospel story at whose center we find Jesus crucified, raised from the dead, and ascended. You know, a king crucified didn't sound like good news in the first century. That meant Rome won. Crucifixion meant that Rome won. It didn't sound like good news in the first century, and it certainly doesn't sound like good news today. Who wants to follow a guy that will lead you to death? Who wants to follow a guy that will ask you to give up everything? Who wants to follow that? It's not intuitive to us. The good news of Jesus, of a king crucified, as a way of leading to life and flourishing, does not sound like good news to our culture. The good news about Jesus declares that the way to true life and peace and flourishing through that humble, self-denying obedience to God and love of our neighbors. And this good news, this good news runs counter to the main dominant story that is told over and over and over again and has been for almost 100 years in our culture. And here's that story. In the story of our culture, true life and flourishing is experienced when you are true to yourself and being true to yourself requires that you practice authentic self-expression, unencumbered by any external tradition, norms, people, whether they're parents or spouses or even children, and certainly not encumbered by institutions or God. That's the story that our world proclaims and tells in a lot of different ways that are actually quite compelling. My wife and I recently watched the new documentary, maybe you've seen on Amazon, of the, for Pink, Um, It was actually really good. Uh, She's an interesting woman uh, who tours around the world with her kids, and it's just kind of neat to have a look into that. Um, But Pink, throughout this documentary, was expressing that she writes and performs her music to help people find the courage to be who they truly are, to be true to themselves and to express themselves authentically. Many of her songs proclaim this pseudo gospel, proclaim this message. You know what? She does this really well. She does this in really compelling ways. Her music and her lyrics are arresting. They're captivating. We sing along. We tap our feet. We let the message sink in. But, you know, this message that Pink is declaring is not new. This competing gospel is not a recent phenomenon in our culture. You know, before Pink and before, you know, Elsa forms a, forms a really easy target for us here at Christ Church and especially Let It Go Uh, This, you know, we'll we'll constantly reference that because it's just low hanging fruit. But before Pink and before Elsa and Let It Go, there was an abbess who told Maria that you should live the life you were born to live. Do you know the movie I'm talking about? You know the movie I'm talking about. And what song did that abbess go on to sing? "Climb Every Mountain." I didn't do this to the first group. You were privileged. (laughs) "Climb Every Mountain." Ford every stream. Follow every rainbow till you find your dream. A dream that will need all the love you can give every day of your life for as long as you live. And I think the message is clear. True life and happiness, true flourishing, finding the life you were born to live, is the result of following your dreams as a means to be happy no matter the obstacles you face. No matter the obstacles you face, right? In this, in this song, it's just metaphors of mountains and streams and rainbows. But in real life, it's children and spouses. Those are the people who hurt when we follow our dreams like this. It's parents and even our own body. No matter the obstacle, their parents, children, spouses, our own body, follow your dreams. And if any of these get in the way of your happiness or finding your true self, then they can be discarded. And discarding them to be, you can discard them to be your true self. And this is applauded as brave. It's praised by our culture as being brave and virtuous to be your authentic self, no matter the cost. As a culture, we have been proclaiming and living by this story for 75 to 100 years or more and what have been the results tell me what have been the results has are people any happier no and the ones who look happy are only happy because they have the financial resources to buy happiness the image of it for a while they're not any happier a profound and increasing sense of isolation and loneliness has descended into our culture. Even before the pandemic, the stats around this were staggering. More than 50% of Americans claim to have a deep and abiding sense of loneliness. We have increasing depression, anxiety in our culture. Where has this story gotten us? It has left us alone because this story that our culture tells is a solo game. You eventually just play by yourself because everyone else is a hindrance to you being you. Church, we have all been shaped deeply, deeply by these stories that communicate this false gospel to us. I have. I have said in all seriousness... You be you. We have all been shaped by these. And so the gospel, the proclamation of the gospel calls us to depart from them, to repent. I think it's clear from this story, the, our culture's story, that it stands diametrically opposed to the good news that we see in Jesus of a self-denying man who died for others didn't disregard them define himself but received who he was from the father and in obedience died for the sake of love love for his neighbors love for errant children love of errant brothers and sisters this is the story of God that he affirms and it stands diametrically opposed to the false gospel of our culture And throughout Acts, we see that the gospel leads the church to stand and oppose our culture's story, our culture's good news. But yet, at the same time, it also tells us that we need to be for our culture. We are a people who walk a tightrope of being against our culture and its false gospel, but yet being deeply and relentlessly for, in love for the people who have bought into it. Because we know that this false gospel leads to death. We know it leads to death. It's not been affirmed by God. And therefore, we fight against this message, this false message, but we love relentlessly these people who are heartfelt in their desire to find themselves, who are heartfelt and their desire to find meaning, and purpose, and significance to their lives. They want to belong. Yet, our culture's gospel leads to isolation, and loneliness, and death. And So we need to be people who stand firmly against this false story, but also love. Love in a self-sacrificial way our neighbors, our children, our spouses, our family, who are so hard to love, aren't they? Gosh, that's a joke but slash serious because they are, right? Now We all live in families. We know what I'm talking about. But God, through his spirit, gives us that power to be love in the midst of our world. But not in a way that capitulates, but in a way that stands firm against, but also stands for people. And we have to cultivate continually and embody earnestly a counterculture here at Christ Church that does both that clearly stands against the lies and false gospel of our culture while simultaneously standing in love for people in our culture who are desperately seeking God. They just don't know it yet. G.K. Chesterton is often cited, I don't think he actually said this, but he's often cited for saying, every man that knocks on the door of a brothel is searching for God. All those misguided desires... Right Desires for good things. God wants you to live. He wants you to have a flourishing and fulfilling life. But the way to it, he says, is through Jesus, through his way of life. And when our desires are misguided and distorted, we begin to knock on brothel doors. We begin to follow after our own selves. And that way leads to death. Dear Christians, that way leads to death. We are a people by God's grace who have been called out of our culture's false story, right? That's repentance. And through baptism and the reception of the Holy Spirit have been saved from it and thoroughly placed within the good news story of Jesus. That is what baptism does. It puts us into the life of God. Literally. I'm using that literally, not the the odd, incorrect way of saying it. It literally unites us to the life of Jesus. If we at Christ Church embody the life and way of Jesus, then we will become a people in a place, listen to this, this is what I want for us, we will become a people in a place of welcome and hospitality and healing to those who have been chewed up and spit out by our culture and its false story, its false gospel, because they're there, and there will be more and more of them. Because it doesn't lead to life, and we need to be a people who, just as Psalm 68 said, that God places the solitary, the lonely, in families. We need to be that family that God places folks within. That's the kind of family the 120 were on Pentecost Day. Because God adds their number, 3,000, and he adds again and again to their number day by day as those who were, who were coming Wanting to buy into this better, truer story in our world. that God is at work in this people through this self-denying, sacrificial way of living. And this is exactly what the Spirit cultivates in us when we, like them, devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. To the fellowship, the koinonia, the sharing with our brothers and sisters, that love when we devote ourselves to the breaking of bread, which is Luke's way of saying the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, and we devote ourselves to the prayers. These are the primary means the Spirit uses and works the grace of God to transform us into that type of community that can welcome the broken and mend them through the power of God at work in and through us. That's the kind of practices that will make us into a people who love one another, even people we don't really like, you know, if you would actually um, read the story of the woman, the Maria von Trapp, that's not exactly anything like how the story went. She didn't really even love the man when she married him. She loved the children. But she says over time that a profound, a, the deepest love she ever, ever experienced developed between her and her husband. Self-sacrificial love whether it's loving those children, can produce life. It can produce something quite remarkable. This is what what God has called us to do. This is what he's empowered us to do through his spirit. So Christ Church, we need just to do two things. We need to commit to God's people. We need to commit to God's people. What does that mean? It means at least two things. It means we come here every Sunday and we enter in, we join our voices in the praise of God, and we listen to the word, we receive the sacraments, and we are transformed by the grace of God to be the body of Christ in Winston-Salem. And second, we commit to God's people by having a common life together, and that means we spend time with one another, around a table, sharing the good gifts of God's love and presence in this world, in food and drink, creating welcoming spaces in our homes and in our neighborhoods to invite those people who will be chewed up and spit out to enter into, to experience belonging and welcome and love everything that we all want in our lives. And then second, it means that we need to speak the praises of God. You'll notice in verse 47 that they praised God. They received their food with generous hearts and they praised God. We need to put Jesus' talk back into our lives. Our faith is a public faith. Our praise of God has to be a public praise. If God is at work in your life, why hide it? Tell your neighbors. God, man, I've had a great... How are you doing? I've had a a great week. Jesus. Jesus has been at work. I've not had a great week but thank God I can take my cares to Jesus. Give him praise and let it be known to others. This is what the early church did. How did Jesus respond or how did God respond? He added to their number. Why? Because he could entrust people to them. If we don't have new converts coming into our churches, it might be because God doesn't entrust them to us. Commit to God's people. Commit to praising God. And this is the way that God will break his spirit out upon our lives, and he will, he will bring about life, and he will bring in people that he is saving. He is saving, not us, he. May God help us to be this kind of welcoming and loving community that provides for the needs of all, whether in sorrow or in joy, whether in sickness or in need. May God help us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.